Welcome to the Yellow Balloons Podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we explore the value of Scripture and the motivation for studying it. We all do what we perceive to be best for us, but Scripture helps to unveil what is truly in our best interest. Fear often keeps us away from the Bible because we've been told that there's condemnation in it, but we've confused acceptance and approval. Clarifying that distinction is a key to unlocking the value of Scripture and the best process to approach it. Tim, based on all of the interactions I've had with you, it's clear you hold a very high value for Scripture and use every opportunity you can to share what you've learned with others. What has made you so passionate about Scripture and teaching? A major part of it is kind of my stewardship orientation that, as I understand the Scripture, our greatest fulfillment comes in doing what God created us to do, which sort of makes sense, right? And that, that is basically to serve others by doing what we do best uh, for their benefit. Now, the interesting thing is the Bible always presumes that we will do what's in our best interest. Uh, so, for example, <clears throat> it says you should love your neighbor. That's kind of the highest commandment after love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor. They do that. It's okay. Well, what does that mean? What does love your neighbor mean? Love your neighbor means do what's in your neighbor's best interest. Okay, great. Well, I want to do what's in my neighbor's best interest. What does that look like? Well, love your neighbor, the full statement is, as you love yourself. Okay, so if loving my neighbor is doing what's in their best interest, then loving myself is doing what's in my best interest. Therefore, the Bible presumes I will always do what I think is in my best interest, which is very observable, right? That's what we all do. We all pursue what we perceive to be in our best interest. Our problem is not that we don't serve what we perceive to be in our best interest. Our problem is our perception, which is why in the Yellow Balloons podcast, we make such a big emphasis on having a true perspective, because that is the way you can see what's actually in your self-interest, and you can pursue what's in the self-interest of others or the best interest of others. When we were uh, charged by Christ right before he left from the earth, he gave something called the Great Commission. And the Great Commission starts off with an interesting point. It says, all authority is given uh, to me on heaven and on earth. And all authority is given in heaven. Wow, that's a pretty bold statement. And, of course, the disciples uh, were eager to hear that. And, you know, right, not in this passage, but in, uh, right before he ascends, they say, is it now you're going to bring the, your kingdom to the Israel? establish your kingdom uh, of, of Israel on earth, you know, because they went through the whole experience with Jesus expecting he was going to overthrow Rome and bring in a, and restore the Davidic kingdom to the Jews. And so when he says, all authority is given to me on heaven and on earth, they're like, hey, yay, well, that's fantastic. That's a, that's a great thing to hear. And then he says, uh, so, okay, what are we going to do, Jesus? How are we going to do with that? And, and Jesus says, uh, well, I want you to go and wait for his power. And I'm conflating several passages here, but I want you to go wait for power. And this is what I want you to do with that power. I want you, everywhere you go, I want you to do two things. 
I want you to baptize people, and I want you to teach them to obey my commands. So our actual job, our command, our self-interest, what we were designed to do is to show people the way to God, to baptize them so they can get belonging in God's family, acceptance in God's family, and then show them how to be approved, which is to be fulfilled by teaching them to obey his commands. Now, it doesn't really make any sense to say, as you go, teach people to obey his commands and think the only way that happens is through Bible study. But the way it happens mainly is through people observing the living of our lives, like John 15 says, where if we abide in the vine, people see that and they see God because we are exhibiting God to, to them and, and we're connecting them with God. It's through our living mainly and our speaking. But there's a real important component in there that's teaching and the, the, uh, and the uh, expression of God's Word and understanding the Bible is a huge help in all of that, an enormous help. And I've been helped so much that I, I just want to uh, do what I can to show other people's, uh, you know, what I've learned. That's a matter of stewardship. And I think the Bible has been shrouded in a lot of mystery over the last centuries that uh, is unfortunate. It's, uh, it's a very simple book that's easily understandable, and often because of the presuppositions we come to it with, it's just kind of cloudy and murky and hard to understand. And I, I want to give people the gift of seeing the Bible simply, truly, so that they can have this true perspective uh, honed and shaped and live a lot better life. So uh, this is a long-winded answer to a simple question, but I think, I think the, sh- the short summary of all that is uh, I think it's a way to greatly benefit people. What has your personal experience with studying the Bible been like, and what process do you use to study? For most of my kind of early years, I'd say the first two-thirds of my life, I would say my, my uh, un, uh, study of the Bible was uncomfortable. I would say it was an uncomfortable daily routine because it was something I knew I should do, uh, but it wasn't particularly a happy thing. And I think mainly it was because I was always afraid I was going to find some kind of condemnation in there. And I, I didn't grow up with a real appreciation of the difference between acceptance and approval. In, uh, in my upbringing, there was a connection between a, approval and acceptance. Approval was kind of a means to acceptance. So if I followed kind of the rules that whatever church leader or whatever um, Christian person was was uh, giving to me and saying, if you're really a Christian, you'll follow these rules. Then if I followed those rules, then uh, I would, on the approved list, then I would be accepted by God. And if I didn't follow those rules, I wouldn't be accepted by God. And so if you have that paradigm and you're going through here and you're seeing the, uh, someone else's list, and the list is actually from the Bible, and you find these things that say, you know, if you do this, then you'll be cursed, or if you, if, if, if you do, this person was, was re, 
was uh, uh, spewed out by God or God hates this kind of behavior. I, it's a natural jump to say, well, then, then if I do that, God's going to reject me. And, of course, since we all sin and we all do a lot of these things uh, in various degrees all the time, uh, you can go to straight to condemnation pretty easily. <laughs> and so it's mostly bad news that I'm reading. And then, and then something amazing happened, uh, and it was, it was a pretty, pretty big, just a, almost a switch that flipped for me. Um, a guy showed me that the word save in the Bible is used in Greek just like it's used in English. Uh, because every time I would come to the word save, I would kind of have this either uh, overt concern or nagging concern that maybe I'm not going to be saved because I didn't do something on the approved list. And uh, so anytime I saw the word save, I was, I was, you know, immediately nervous and at risk. And, you know, the reason I was doing that is because anytime I saw the word save, I automatically imported into that word <clears throat> from hell or from being going to heaven to going to hell or from being life to death you know saved from hell and to save from hell to heaven i automatically put that in there <clears throat> and i think it's because of like the context of what was you know how things were preached and so forth and <clears throat> a guy showed me and said well look you know in english uh, and really in any language, but in English, we, we determine the, the meaning of a word through context. It's very rare we have words that always mean the same thing. And so if I say to you, uh, I'm going to save my money and not buy that coffee, you would not ever be confused thinking that I was going to rescue that money from going to hell right? You, 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 you would understand that I am, I'm delivering the money from being spent on this so it can be spent on that or saved for a later time. Or if I ask you, after we have a meal, if I ask you, uh, hey, do you want to save that meatloaf? You're never going to be confused that I want that meat. I'm trying to deliver that meatloaf from hell. You know, you would understand I'm asking, do you want me to deliver the meatloaf from being thrown in the trash and instead preserve it in the refrigerator so it can be eaten later. <clears throat> uh, if I say the pitcher saved the game last night, again, you're not going to be confused it's heaven to hell. He's delivering the game from being lost so it can be saved. And, and we can go on and on. Uh, we Anytime you see the word save or hear the word save, you automatically, from the context, say what's being delivered from what. And interestingly enough, the translators in the Bible actually translate the Greek word sozo, which is translated save, they actually translate it heal some of the time because it says the woman, blood flow stopped and she was saved. Okay, well, clearly in that context, she was saved from having an illness. She was delivered from having an illness to, to being well. 
And so it's an appropriate use, but they don't put the word save in there because clearly that's not talking about heaven and hell. Well, and that's, unfortunately, that's the way it is with almost all the Bible. I mean, unfortunately, in the sense that the translators aren't giving us a, a full picture. That's almost every verse that uses the word save is like that. It's something delivered from something, and it's not, you know, delivered from hell to heaven. It can include that, but it's usually not talking just about that. And if you think about it, the Bible's mainly written to God's servants or the, God's children, uh, his chosen nation, his chosen people, how to live life more effectively. And one of the principles in the Bible is God will never reject his people. His, his gifts and promises are irrevocable. Acceptance is given through Christ unconditionally, freely. It can't be earned and it can't be lost. It's just something we receive. And so being saved from hell is something we have nothing to do with. No approval is necessary. But on the other hand, whether we live well or don't live well is, has everything to do with the consequences that we, that we have for our life. And so if we want to be saved from bad consequences— and instead have good consequences, then we need to have approved behavior. And most of the time, when we see the word save, it's talking about that. And so when I came to understand that, I was no longer nervous about what I was going to find in the Bible. I was eager to know how to live a better life. And so that was kind of the, that was probably the first big key for me. Uh, Another big key was another little four-step process I learned, which is to observe the Bible when, we, when you read the Bible. And, and I would say study. I started this learning to study the Bible, and then it became second nature. And now reading and studying are the same thing for me. But it was work to begin with. First is to observe. So first step is observe. Second step is to interpret. Third step is to correlate. Fourth step is to apply. So first step is to observe. What does observe mean? It just means to read what it says. You know, what does it say? The second step is to interpret, which is what does it mean? Now, most of us come to the Bible looking for the Bible to say something to us that we want it to say. So we've already decided what it means. So we're neither observing nor interpreting. We're just searching for something to validate what we already think. And, you know, we tend to hear what we want to hear, and we tend to look for what we or find what we're looking for. But if you really understand that God is telling us what's in our benefit in the Bible— and we go to the Bible to listen rather than to be affirmed with what we already think, which, I don't know, can do more harm than good in, in some ways. If we go to listen, then we have to at first take the step of what does it actually say. And what I find is now, instead of kind of what I previously had, which was any time the Bible said something that was confusing, it kind of threw me off and made me feel insecure— now that I have this acceptance completely, um, completely affirmed, and the Bible affirms it all the way through, 
uh, like um, John 3, 14, and 15. And those verses say, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that's using the illustration. This is to a Jewish guy. He's saying this. Who would have known this Bible passage extremely well? He's a Pharisee. And he says, uh, as the serpent is lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Moses uh, had a stewardship of all the nation of Israel, and they were bitten by vipers, and they were dying of these poisonous snake bites. But they came and said, hey, I, I, want, I don't want to die. And so God said, okay, well, if you don't want to die, then uh, I'll, I'll have Aaron put this brass snake on a pole, and if you'll just have enough faith to go look at that snake, I'll, I'll make it where you don't die of that poison. Now, it didn't mean they wouldn't still suffer from the poison, but they wouldn't die from the poison. And so they, when they looked at the snake, they didn't die of the poison. Uh, so Jesus says, it's going to be just like that, except instead of the snake on a pole, it's going to be me. I'm going to be on a pole. That pole was the cross. That, whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So now you've got this whole human race that's been bitten by a snake, so to speak, and that snake's sin, and we inherited it, and we're going to die. We're going to die in our sin, separated from God. And so now, okay, we don't want that. And God says, well, you know, okay, I'm going to do something for you. If you'll look at this man on this cross expecting healing, just enough faith to look, I'll make it where you don't die. Well, okay, that's it. That All it takes to receive that free gift of being in God's family is enough faith to look. So once you kind of nail that down and say, I am accepted in Christ completely, unconditionally, holy. Now I can go and say, all right, so now I don't want bad things to happen to me. I want good things to happen to me. I don't want bad consequences. I want good consequences. And now I'm, I'm looking at the Bible and I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening for, okay, God is telling me what's good. Now I can observe actually what it says. And so now when I find something that doesn't make sense, it kind of excites me because I say, okay, there's something I don't understand here, and that means there's probably some key of how I'm not looking at something right, and if I can unlock that key, I'll benefit from that. So the first thing to do is observe, you know, what does it say? And if it's clear what it says, you know, then you don't really have to spend a whole lot of time interpreting what it means, but you do that next. Okay, what does it say? What does it mean? The third point's really important, though, correlate. So you observe, what does it say? Interpret, what does it mean? And then correlate is how does that fit with the rest of the passage? And so if you have something that says, uh, that seems to say something that's a complete right turn from what the rest of the passage was saying, that probably means that's not what it says. And so then it's appropriate to go back and say, okay, that doesn't fit this passage. I'm going to observe some more. So you observe more deeply 
and say, okay, what was I missing? Because that interpretation doesn't fit. So you keep going around in that loop until observe, interpret, correlate, and observe, observe, interpret, correlate, until the passage makes sense and it has continuity. And ultimately, it, you know, it needs to fit the whole Bible. So you 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 grow your ability to look at context as your familiarity with Scripture expands. Well, you just start with the immediate passage. You know, start with the immediate passage. So what does it say? What does it mean? Does that fit? Repeat. And then you get to the point where you say, okay, this kind of makes sense to me. And then hold that with an open hand because God's always revealing himself and you learn more things. And it's okay to, it's okay to change as you go along and say, oh, I, I was thinking that meant this, but it appears to mean that. And sometimes it's both. Often it's both. The Bible speaks on many levels. And then in every case, what you want to do then is say, okay, now how can I apply that? Because the treasure, the treasure does not come solely from understanding. Uh, it, it comes from actually applying that. And so then you have to ask yourself, okay, if that's true, then what changes do I need to make? Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.